and welcome to the Healthy Aging Podcast, the podcast where we discuss practical tools to enhance your quality of life. Here's your host, Dr. Des. Hello and welcome to the Healthy Aging Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Des, and today we have Bashir Kwito with us, who is an occupational driving assessor. Thank you, Bashir, for joining us today. Thank you, Dr. Des. It's great to be here. Um, super excited to have you on the podcast today because we're going to learn a little bit about sort of driving assessments and driving as we get older. But before we sort of jump in, could you tell me a little bit about what you do, but also like how you ended up falling into this career path? Sure. So my role is to perform medical driving assessments. That's my primary role anyway. So I um, report directly back to Transport for New South Wales or the RMS medical unit, whatever you'd like to um, refer them to. I also, um, I'm the ambassador for Porsche Australia, which I'm quite excited about. Um, and I was appointed that in February this year. And I perform medical driving um medico-legal assessments and things like that as well. So that's my main role. Awesome. Do you um do you get do you get you know the people that come and do driving assessments with you? Do they get to do that assessment in a Porsche? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, like to. Yeah. So look, you, you're in quite a niche field where you do driving assessments for a variety of different circumstances that you just mentioned. How did you sort of fall into this space or what got your interests? Yeah, so I've been working for a, um, an injury management company for many, many years prior to this as an occupational therapist. And I did a lot of, um, it was, we specialised in the construction industry. So I was always going up and down cranes, excavators, down mines, things like that. So quite exciting line of work lot of um, construction sort of related injuries and things like that. And then the opportunity arose to do a postgrad um, with um, driver assessments and driver rehabilitation. So I decided to take that opportunity. Awesome. And then I, yeah, I was a bit hesitant to begin with because I thought it is quite scary at times sitting in the car and things <laughs> like that. Patients and it can be quite unpredictable. Yeah. But yeah. once doing it, I, I loved it. Awesome. Fantastic. Um, so I'd love to learn a little bit more about, you know, you mentioned it briefly, but if we could do a bit more of a deeper dive into what are some of the types of conditions or the types of demographics of people that you typically would do or get referred to do a driving assessment with? Sure. So the majority of my patients, they, they are um, patients with um, cognitive decline, a lot of stroke patients, Parkinson's, patients with um, brain injuries, brain tumours, aneurysms, and some um, other neurological conditions, epilepsy, MND, MS, uh, peripheral neuropathy, that sort of thing. I've also have patients with chronic pain, anxiety, um, trauma, post-motor vehicle accidents, depression, um, alcoholism, all that type of stuff. And what would be, because one of the questions I commonly get asked by sort of the older patients that I see is that, well, I've already had a driving assessment done by, you know, New South Wales Services or the Road Transport Authority. Why do I need to see an occupational um, therapist for a driving assessment? Do you mind just sort of explaining to the listeners sort of the difference between the two and, and why one doesn't equal the other? Sure. And I think 
a lot of people don't realise that a medical condition can arise at any time and it's, it can be quite sudden and unexpected, which is the unfortunate part. So in terms of um, a standard driving test, that's a bit different. So the standard driving test is one as though you would do when you're when you're getting your, um, your provisional licence initially. It's that sort of thing. Whereas a medical driving assessment that I do, we focus on a lot of other things. So we look at um, a patient's ability, like their observation on road, their speed control, reaction times, things like that, the planning and judgment. And I think, as you as you said, that um, sometimes we take for granted because we usually start driving at such a younger age about how actually complex it is to drive. You need to have excellent sensors, so your sight needs to be good, your hearing needs to be good, you need to have good muscle movements of your necks, of your arms, you need to have good peripheral awareness, you need to have very strong processing skills to be able to navigate certain areas. And so exactly as you mentioned, is that there is a variety of conditions that can occur at any time, whether those conditions affect your brain, your sight, your hearing, your sense of sensation or your muscle movements that can impact on your driving. And sometimes we need to get someone like yourself involved because I think having someone who specialises in this field to sit in a car with someone to work out what are the safest recommendations to ultimately, hopefully, try and allow people to continue to drive. That can happen. Um, I mean, in terms of, like, the, my understanding, Bashir, is that there's no recommendations or clear guidelines, is there, as to when to refer to an occupational therapist, or is it just if you're concerned? I'd love to know a little bit more about what the referral pathway is. Sure. So the referrals I mainly receive um, are from treating doctors and specialists and things like that. I will also have, um, you know, police will often make referrals to Transport for New South Wales as well if they're concerned about um, an individual's driving ability, things like that. Family members may sort of pick up on changes and things like that, and they may be concerned about someone's driving as well. So that's how all the assessments kind of come about, really. Yeah, yeah. So it seems to me it's, it's mostly got to do with either a concern that gets raised by a medical doctor, like a GP or a specialist, or perhaps there's been some incident on the road which the police have been notified about, which then gets escalated. Um, do you ever get referrals or concerns or can, you know, let's say I was worried about the driving of my grandmother. Could I, as a family member, not a doctor, refer to you? Um, you would have to, you can make contact with me and I would sort of provide the direction to see the doctor first, okay? Then the doctor's got to complete the New South Wales Fitness to Drive medical form, which is the standard form that's completed for drivers um, that are aged 75 years and over, for instance, or younger if they have a medical condition, okay? And that, that form pretty much will um, alert me as to sort of what other medical conditions there may be, such as diabetes, heart conditions, if there's been a previous stroke, um, that kind of thing, if there's sort of anxiety, depression, any of those sort of things, that's mm. all listed there. Okay, and that form goes to Transport for New South Wales. Yeah, yeah. So I think, I mean, as you said, I think it's it's not as easy as, you know, I'm worried about a family member, they refer directly to you. It actually needs to be a formal referral process that's done by 
whether that's a medical professional or whether that's done by a service person, just such as a police officer. Because as you said, there's, there's very important information that usually needs to be included in the referral so that you understand exactly what you need to be monitoring um, when you do the assessment. So um, let's say, Vashia, that you know, I refer someone to you, uh, you pick up the referral. Could you just talk me through you know, what you do in the assessment, how long the assessment's for, is it in your car, someone else's car, do you go on main roads, off roads? Like, what does a, a day in the life of Bashir look like? Um, so a day in the life of me is quite exciting um, and it varies all the time. And that, I guess that's the best part of my job, really. So I'll, once I receive a referral, I'll make contact with the patients or their family, a family member, whoever they may be, or, or the treating doctor involved or specialist, um, then I'll arrange to meet up with them. Okay, and that'll that's generally from their home. I do consult um, to a hospital as well at Royal Rehab and do assessments from there too, which I thoroughly enjoy. Most of my patients there are spinal patients, brain injury patients, and other sort of outpatients and things. But um, with my private patients, I'll go and visit them from their home address. And that's often good because then I get to sort of see them driving in their local area yeah. as well. So I'll sit down with them um, and then we sort of, we go through a bit of um, functional screening. I'll have a look at all their movements and things like that um, in terms of sort of sensory changes, pain symptoms, range of movements, all of that kind of thing. Then we look at, um, we do a bit of cognitive testing. So I'll do a few cognitive tests with them as well. I'll have a look at their vision as well, uh, and which can be quite tiring and fatiguing for them too. And then following that, I um, appoint a, um, a disability trained driving instructor and they will come along and we'll go for a drive together. Okay, and that's generally done in um, the driving instructor's vehicle with a dual brake for everyone's safety. Yeah. So you, so just to recap, so you receive a referral, you make contact with the individual, the family members, you go out to their home, and before you even jump in the car, you do a bit of a, like, it sounds like quite an in-depth screening process to understand or gauge whether there's any limitations in terms of their senses or their memory or whatever that may be. How long does that initial assessment normally last for? generally takes about an hour. If I have an okay. interpreter or something like that, it might take about an hour and a half. Yep. And, yeah. then, and then after you do that initial assessment, you then jump into a, a car. So not the individual's own car, it's a car that's got a dual braking system like you would if you were learning and, and going with a regular driving instructor, but you're sitting in the back seat and making notes, I imagine, during and um, while they're yes. driving. And That's right. So I sit in the um the back seat on the far left side. That way I can observe the individual driving the vehicle, and the driving instructor is responsible for, for providing directions: turn left, turn right, go straight, that sort of thing. Um, and they've got a brake just to sort of keep us all safe in the car. Yeah. But yeah. I'm observing their behaviour on the road, what they do, the way they sort of um handle the, <coughs> the pedals and things like that of the car, the brake, the accelerator. Uh, whether or not they're using both upper limbs to hold the steering wheel, if they're resting that, if they're becoming fatigued, if they have confusion as well behind the wheel too with um, the vehicle controls and things like that. And just to observe if they're missing things. So if they're missing stop signs, if they're missing giveaway signs, roundabouts, traffic lights and intersections and things. Yeah. And, and how long does that on-road driving assessment last for typically? 
about 45 minutes all up. Okay. And is that, and, and do you, you know, you spoke a little bit about how you like to go to people's homes because it gives you a gauge as to how familiar they are with the local area. Is the assessment only done within the local area or do you go to maybe unfamiliar places or onto highways or freeways or is that not necessary? No, that's I have a, um, a few patients that'll live sort of up the coast or down the coast and they will meet me sort of halfway on occasion. Okay. So we do the assessment from other locations as well mm. and that's unfamiliar to them yeah. as well. Mm. I and think... often I'll have to go to the country sort of areas too and I'll see patients and you'll go to their home but by the time they get out to the city sort of area it might take them a good 20 minutes to get out into the city. So mm. what you're doing is a bit of rural driving. It doesn't show me much. Yeah. Or enough. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it's very, so it sounds like it's very tailored to the individual and sort of what they do on a day to day basis because, you know, there's obviously people that will travel extended distances on main roads and there's other people that will travel in country roads and there'll be those that travel within their local areas. One of the, the, the biggest concern from people when I refer them to an occupational driver is they think to themselves, I'm going to lose my license. And the reality is it's not, you're gonna keep your license or you're gonna lose your license. There's a big breadth in between as to what could potentially be put in place to not only help save that individual, but also everyone else surrounding them on the roads to protect them. Can you talk through maybe about sort of, you know, you've done an assessment on someone Maybe there are some things that need to be put in place. What are those common things you would put in place? And then how often or do you need to review people on an ongoing basis? Yeah, yeah. So this is interesting. Oh, I'm going to backtrack that a little bit, yep. Dr. Des. So when I initially see a patient, often sometimes they don't want to see me. Sometimes they're quite cranky and angry as well about the whole process about being referred for an assessment. Yeah. But I'll openly go into someone's home and I'll say, look, I'm not here to try and take your license away because ultimately I love seeing all my patients continue to drive. That is my goal, okay? Um, and where possible and where it's safe, I will aim to keep them on the road. And so long as everyone else on the road is safe as well, okay? That's what I always tell them. And that sort of helps to establish a bit of rapport initially as well. And I'll ask them if they love driving. I love driving and I'll sort of say to my patients, do you love driving? And often they'll say, yes, I do. Some will say to me, oh, no, I'm scared or I don't drive as much anymore. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then I, and then I know what to sort of look out for, um, whether or not we might need some refresher lessons down the track just to sort of build up confidence yeah. because ultimately I love seeing my patients to drive for a lot longer than they think that they could possibly drive. Yeah, and I think I think Bashir, like that, that is such an excellent point that people are, are normally terrified about the concept of of having a driving assessment because they think it's they're going to lose their license. And as you said, like having your license and the ability to drive is such a sense of freedom and a sense of independence as well. And people have been driving typically for you know 50, 60, 70 years. And it allows them the autonomy to do things that they want to do at their own time and their own pace. And, you know, obviously there can be huge implications for that if that is taken away from them, particularly in areas that maybe don't have great public transport or that they're isolated. And I think I love, the, I love the comment that you said about, I'm not here to take your license away from you. I'm here to support you to continue to drive. 
And it's just about putting some strategies in place about what that looks like. Um, so it'd, it'd be great to, if you could expand a bit more about what you were saying. Sure. Yes, so when I'll, so going to someone's home, it gives me a good idea as to who they live with, what support is around them, how far away their local shopping centre is, their local medical centre is, hospitals and things like that. I've got to take all of that into consideration. If they live alone, for instance, that, that is concerning to me too, because then I sort of have to factor in, is there community transport available that can assist them if I take away their independence? So I, I look at everything from a sort of like a holistic point of view. Yeah. And then, so let's say um, you see someone, you think that they've got some concerns with their driving. What are some of the general or usual recommendations that you might put in place to help safeguard that person and other people? Sure. Yeah. So with regards to someone who has been diagnosed with dementia or Alzheimer's, newly diagnosed, for instance, I'll go in there and have a look and see how they are. Most of the time, they're pretty good, okay? Um, and then, but then I might put sort of like um, a three-month or six-month or 12-month review on them. So I'll come out there and reassess their driving. If I'm noticing a lot of quite significant changes, then I will see them within three months just to keep an eye on things. But majority of my patients with progressive conditions, I'll see them every 12 months for a review yeah yeah so i think as you said i think i mean certainly from my experience is that the general recommendations are sometimes put in place is that you know people might be if, if you take uh if you take sydney for an example so let's say you live in the northern beaches you might be very familiar in that local area you've lived there for you know 50 years you know the back street of your hands you're very confident and if you start to have issues with your memory, you will still remain confident in your local area because that's an inherent skill that you've learned over a number of years. However, if I was to ask you to drive from the northern beaches to the Blue Mountains or to the other side of Sydney, you might be less confident or less safe because of the additional stress that puts on your brain, your senses, your muscles, everything. And so, you know, sometimes what we do is we, we put in a, a radius or a driving restriction where we say this person can drive within 10, 20, 30 kilometres of their home. And, maybe, and maybe because of issues with their vision, they might, you know, um, be only allowed to drive during daylight hours. So I think, it, you know, exactly as you said, it's really important to know that your goal and obviously our goal as the referrer is, is to allow people to drive for as long as possible, but maybe sometimes we have to tailor where that is or put some general measures or restrictions in place to help ensure that that's done, you know, from a safe perspective. What about, Bashi, I mean, there's a lot of people these days, family members that maybe split their time between two places. So, you know, they might live in Sydney, but they've got a holiday house on the central coast or up in Queensland or something like, you know, if I put a restriction in and say they can only drive within a 20 kilometre radius of their home, does that mean when they go away, they can't drive, you know, up in Queensland or the central coast? So this is where it's a little bit tricky. And this is, I have a lot of patients that will have holiday homes at a different location, for instance, or a country location. So they often travel between the two several times a month. And if a 10 kilometre restriction is in place with them, it is generally from their primary residence, so from their actual home address. If 
in the event that they are that they know that they're going to be traveling away to their holiday destination or to their you know country property they should notify transport for new south wales and they can do that online as well just to update their address details because that 10 kilometer radius is only from their primary residence yeah and and you just mentioned that about new south wales what about some of our listeners that are in other states and territories, do these sort of general principles that you've spoken about today apply to those states as well? Or are they all a little bit different? So um, when I did my training, things like that, Victoria is a little bit different. So they've got a bit of different legislation, but the other states are very similar to New South Wales in terms of our assessment procedures and things like that. Okay. And I imagine, that, you know, they could just go onto their state, you know, Road Transport Authority website and, and those guidelines and recommendations would be there. Is that right? That's correct. And if they're unsure, they can always contact their local service, New South Wales. But the difficulty is when you go and turn up to your local branch, often they have to have clarification with the medical unit because they're not sure. So I always sort of encourage um, clients and patients to sort of take the time out and be patient if they go to service New South Wales because they will have to contact the Grafton Medical Unit yeah. to obtain clarification. Okay. And, and I mean, one of the questions I commonly get asked is around, you know, cost, you know, because obviously some people, are, are, you know, particularly the older generation, they may not be working, they may be relying on the pension. Like in terms of the cost associated, we've seen an occupational driving assessor. Can, can you talk a little bit about what that might be or what it implies? Yes, sure. So in terms of um, fees and things, there, it's all it all varies so different therapists will charge different amounts and things like that so we're not solely employed by transport for new south wales we're all consultants in our field okay when i see my private patients i'm aware you know that cost is a factor for them okay so in terms of um did you want a, a breakdown of fees and things like that is that what you sort oh, of after no, i think it's probably important to highlight to the listeners that you know um that unfortunately that there's no my understanding anyway Beshi, is that there's no rebate that's provided by um, the state or the federal governments is that right some private health funds will um be able to reimburse patients back with a certain amount i don't okay. exactly know how much i always sort of advise them double check with um their health provider to yeah. see if they can get some sort of money back some patients have tried to um factor it in with their my aged care assessments and things like that um, I do get referrals through the NDIS as well for driving assessments. So yeah. that will be covered okay. for the patients okay. there. So there's different um, schemes and things like that. Yeah, it's a good point because I, th I think it's important for people to know that like, um, yeah, just like if you go to a doctor or a specialist, there is usually always an out-of-pocket cost and that cost can vary from a few hundred to to even to much, much more. Um, it's very dependent. And unfortunately, there's no standardised rebate sometimes that's provided. And so it's important to, for people to explore and to speak to their private health funds, to also speak to the National Disability Service as well, the NDIS, as well as My Aged Care, so one of the community aged care providers, about whether or not there's any reimbursement. I always say to people, though, that you know, yes, there is an out-of-pocket cost, but we usually are only referring people to see someone like yourself, Bashir, if there is significant concern or we do think that there's restrictions that need to be put in place. 
And as you can imagine, for me sitting in a consultation room and seeing a person, I can do all the memory tests under the sun, but what you score on a memory test does not equate to how well you drive in real life. And like anything, there's no better assessment than having someone physically there watching you as you go through the motions to, um, uh, to see whether it's appropriate to continue to drive. Um, Bashir, like if someone was, let's say they do a driving assessment and you deem them not safe to drive, does that mean that they can never drive again or can they have an assessment again in the future? What's sort of the protocol there? Sure. So if I will go out and see someone and, and um, they're just simply unsafe to drive and I issue a, a cancellation of their licence, they need to go through the appeals process. So they'll have to appeal through court to um, try and overturn that or to try and have another reassessment. Okay. Yeah. Um, Bashir, on, on the podcast, we always get someone um, who sends in a message, usually related to one of the topics that we discuss. And for our listeners, if you ever want to get, you know, send through a question, please go to www.healthyagingpodcast.com and you can submit a question. The one I have for you today, Bashir, is from Barry. Barry lives up on the Central Coast and he wants to know how do you access an occupational driving assessor or how do you find one in your local area? Sure. So you'll need to contact, um, hop on the website, the OT Australia website, and you will type in what sort of service that you require, for instance, driving assessments and the lo your local area, and you will have a list of therapists that will come up there that specialise in driving. So it is a specialised um, field. You probably won't find too many of us on there that specialise in driving, but we are there anyway. Right. Fantastic. Um, Bashir, it's been amazing to speak to you today and, and certainly super enlightening to learn a little bit about what you do to help support people to remain on the road. Just as a, as a very last question, like with everything that we've spoken about today, if there was one thing that people could take away from this episode that you would want them to learn or know, what would that be? I would say um, a quote that I love using as well, that a medical condition doesn't define who a person really is. Yeah. Okay, so I can elaborate on that. Um, there's more to someone than just sort of going in there and saying, yes, I'm going to take away your driving independence. I need to look at everything from a whole perspective. And I just want patients and clients to know that, that I'm not there to go and take away your independence completely, but I will look at everything from all different angles. Yeah. I, I love that quote, actually, Bashir, because I think that there is an inherent fear sometimes, even with coming to see a doctor for a general checkup. And I think that, you know, anything we do, you know, and what we speak about regularly on this podcast is about being proactive rather than reactive. So what can we do if there is a problem to support people to remain independent in the community? And I think everything that you entail and speak about, you know, is about recognising the individual and what she can do to harness what they do on a daily basis. Um, Bashir, it's been amazing speaking to you today. Um, for all our listeners, uh, please go to the website, www.healthyagingpodcast.com. We'll make sure that there's a recording of this episode up there as well. And uh, we'll get a bit of a blog and an overview from Bashir, maybe about some links to some resources and just some general overviews about the topics that we spoke today. Uh, thank you again, Bashir. And as my Arnie Lee always says, 
You can't help getting older, but you don't have to get old. All right, bye. Thank you, Dr. Dez. It's been an absolute pleasure. Fantastic. This podcast is proudly supported by Geriatric Care Australia. The content on this podcast should not be taken as medical advice and should not replace the care provided by your physician. The podcast is for informational purposes only. Due to each individual's unique circumstances, please consult your health professional for any medical advice or treatment.